Chapter Nine. The first time we went to the Yorkpool complex, we had taken an incredibly long stairway. This time, it was more of a ramp. It wound downward at an easy angle, no worse than walking down a driveway. And to our roach bodies, which barely experienced gravity, it was like walking on level ground. Under our scampering feet, there was bare dirt covered by footprints. We climbed in and out of the depressions that seemed to be several feet deep by our cockroach standards. We let the controller pull away from us, even though we could have moved as fast as he was. No point in taking the risk of getting stepped on. It was dark all around, with only an occasional bare electric light bulb high, high overhead, like some dim sun. Still, we wanted to be careful not to be seen. My antennae were tuned in for any vibration that might be another controller walking on the path. Down, down we went, curving and twisting between rock walls. Axe, how are we doing on time? Jake asked. Axe has the ability to keep perfect track of time, even without a watch. It's a very useful talent. Twenty-eight of your minutes have passed since Cassie and Rachel entered Morph. You know, Axe, they're your minutes now too. Marco said, just to make conversation. I mean, we are all here together on good old Earth, where we only have one type of minute. We have two hours total in any morph. At two hours and one minute, we would be stuck, like Tobias. And this was one time I actually agreed with Marco. I was not interested in being a roach forever. Stairs up ahead, Cassie reported. Over, down, over, down, over, down. Seventy-five steps. At last, we sensed the walls were no longer hemming us in. The path had emerged into the cavern itself. Our roach eyes could not see it, but I remembered the first time I had looked down on the yerk pool. It was a vast underground cavern, larger than one of those big sports domes. The stairways and paths emerged from all sides, right about where the upper tier of seats would have been in a sports dome. In the center of the area was the pool itself, a sludgy, muddy-looking lake that seemed to be seething with the mass of yerk slugs in it. But that was not the worst of it. Two piers were built out over the lake. One was where the controllers—human, orkbajir, taxon, and other species—disgorged the yurks from their heads. Orkbajir guards would watch carefully as each controller knelt at the far end of the pier and held his head close to the surface of the lake. The yurk slug would then slither out of the host's ear and drop with a flat splash into the lake. That's when you would discover whether the controller was a voluntary host or someone who had been taken against his will. See, the voluntary hosts, the ones who had chosen to turn themselves over to the yurks, would stand up and calmly walk away. The involuntary hosts would realize that they were temporarily free of the evil alien in their heads, that they once more had control of their own minds and bodies. Some would scream, some would cry, many would beg to be released. A few would try to escape, but the Horkbajir were there to grab them and haul them to the cages. That's where they would await the moment that they would be taken to the second pier. The second pier was the place where Yurks. Now strong from their swim in the pool and full of the nutrition of the Kendrona rays, 
would slither back inside their hosts. When I had nightmares about the yerk pool, and I had those nightmares a lot, it would always be about that second pier. The voluntary hosts would kneel and receive the yurks back into their brains. The involuntaries would struggle. They would fight. Curse. Some would dare the hork to kill them. We were on a ramp again. No one had said anything for a while, as we still raced lower and lower, deeper and deeper, closer and closer. That memory was in all of our minds. All except Axe, who had not been there. I wish I could see more clearly, Axe said. I wish I could see all that is going on. No, you don't, I told him. We were at the end of the ramp. We had reached the flat floor of the cavern. Okay, now what? Cassie wondered. We've used up at least three quarters of an hour. Forty-one of your minutes, Axe said. Okay, Jake said. You guys remember that there were buildings all around the edge of the cavern, set back from the yurt pool? Most are probably storage. Some may be generators and air purifiers. But some may be offices, control rooms, or even hold the Kendrona itself. We need to check out some of those buildings. Well, that's what bugs do best, Marco joked. I wish we could have found a bug morph with better eyes, I said. How are we going to even find these buildings? I can't see more than a couple of feet in front of me. Don't need to, Cassie said. We can smell. They have humans down here. I don't know about Horkbashir and Taxons, but if there are humans down here, they must eat somewhere. And I swear I smell french fries. She was right. I don't know if they were french fries, but my roach brain definitely detected food. Go for the fries, Jake said with a laugh. We barreled away across the dusty ground. Just ahead, a wall loomed. It was easy enough to find a crack. A roach can slide through a crack no thicker than a quarter. We emerged into brilliant light and an assault of sounds and smells. So, where do you think we are? Marco asked. This looks like linoleum under us, I said. Dirty linoleum. I feel a lot of vibrations. Lots of feet, I'm guessing. And voices. Too many for me to make sense of them. I smell humans. Axe confirmed. Humans don't smell, I said, only half-joking. Oh, humans smell, Axe argued. It is not a bad smell, sort of like an animal we have back on my planet called a flar. So we have french fries and humans, Marco said. Are you telling me we have reached the yurt pool McDonald's? If it's some kind of lunchroom or something, it would be a good place to listen in on conversations. Cassie said. Maybe we can get closer. Crawl up under a table. We should be able to... Suddenly, a shadow fell over us. Something huge was overhead, blocking out the harsh fluorescent light. Now that... That is not a human smell. Axe said. I smell it too. I said. It's familiar. I don't like it. Something... I've smelled it before. It's... I can't get my human memory and my roach senses together. It smells like... Taxon! Cassie cried suddenly. 
Look, that tree-looking thing up there. I think it's a taxon leg. Oh, gross, I hate those things, I said. Look out! Hurling down from the fluorescent sky at incredible speed came something like a bright red whip. I powered my six legs in an instant response. It was too fast. The red whip slapped the ground all around me. It fell over me like an awful wet quilt. Something like glue oozed around me, seeping under my shell, gumming up my legs. No! I screamed. I'm trapped! Marco cried. I was lifted up off the ground. My back was glued to the red whip, and I was hurtling toward space. I caught a glimpse of the others, stuck to the red whip just like me. What's happening? Cassie cried. It's the taxon, Axe said. I think he's about to consume us. We were stuck to the frog-like tongue of the taxon as the evil creature slurped his tongue back down his throat. Chapter 10 I can't get loose, Jake yelled. In an instant, without warning, death had come for us. I was glued down, helpless, as the taxon's red tongue sucked back into its mouth. And then... And then... Everything, everywhere, stopped. The sticky red whip of the taxon's tongue stopped moving. But it was more than that. Nothing was vibrating against my antennae. There were no sounds. There were no smells, because the air itself had stopped moving. Then, without meaning to, I began to demorph. What's going on? I asked. I'm demorphing, Cassie said. But it wasn't me doing it. Are we dead? Is this some kind of hallucination? I asked. If it is, I'm having it too, Jake said. I swiftly grew larger and larger. My center pair of cockroach legs dwindled and disappeared. My lower legs swelled and grew skin. I fell from the taxon's tongue to the ground, too large and heavy to be stuck any longer. Toes appeared. Fingers appeared. My true human eyes opened. I looked around, dazed and disoriented. The others were all there. We were all human again, barefoot and dressed in our skin-tight morphing outfits, like we always were when we came out of morph. Axe was back in his andalite body, just adding to the general weirdness of the scene. We were inside a building. As we had guessed, it was a lunchroom. There was a kitchen to one side. There were dozens of long tables down the middle of the room. People sat at the tables eating. Only, they weren't eating. They were holding forks. They were looking down at plates of food. They were getting ready to speak. They were holding mugs of coffee. But no one was moving. No one was breathing. The steam rising from the mugs of coffee was frozen and still as a photograph. Okay, I'm ready to wake up now. Marco said. This dream is getting weird. Look, I said. hork Two hork were standing by the door. I had never seen one standing still before. Even frozen in place, they were frightening. Seven feet of knife-edged arms, legs, head, and tail. Salad shooters on legs, as Marco said. Walking razor blades. And then there was the taxon, 
the one that had been about to eat us. It was a monstrously big centipede, its big around as a concrete sewer pipe. It had a round red mouth at the very top of its warm body. The long red whip of a tongue stuck out and hung in the air. I have an idea, Marco said. Even if this is a dream, let's get out of here. Definitely, I agreed. Move, Jake said loudly. We ran for the door of the lunchroom, out into the vast intimidating openness of the cavern. Outside, the same freeze had occurred. The surface of the York Pool was still. The humans and Horkbjir, who were involuntary hosts, were frozen in their cages, screaming and crying and shouting without a sound or movement. On the infestation pier, a woman was bent low over the water, held down by a Horkbjir. A York was halfway into her ear. She was crying. Her tears were motionless on her cheeks. Then I saw something moving. One single thing in all that eerie stillness. A boy. He was tall, a little gangly. He had hair that looked as if it had never been combed. Oh, I whispered. Oh, look, it's Tobias. The others all turned to see. Tobias shrugged his human shoulders. He held up his hands to stare at his own fingers. It is me, he said, sounding like he doubted it. My old body, here. I ran to him. I don't know why, I just did. I wanted to touch him, to know he was real. Ah, 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 he yelled. He jumped back and suddenly threw his arms up and down. He was flapping, trying to get away, trying to fly. I had scared him by rushing at him. Sorry, he whispered, terribly embarrassed. Sorry. I put my arms around him and hugged him tightly. Tobias, what's going on? I asked him. I don't know, he said. I was flying. Then suddenly, I was here. Like this. Time has stopped, Axe said. For everyone but us. I can feel it. Something is very, very wrong, Cassie said darkly. Is this some trick of Visser 3's? This is not Yurk technology. I can tell you that, Axe said. This is far beyond them. Far beyond us Andalites as well. What? what? Humility? From an Ah! Marco screamed. The voice came from everywhere at once. And from nowhere. It wasn't a voice. Not really. It wasn't even thought speak. It was like an idea simply popped into your head. The words exploded like bursting balloons inside your own thoughts. I spun around, looking for the source, ready to fight if necessary. No, Rachel. There is no threat. It knows your name, Tobias hissed. I glanced at Axe. He had gone rigid. He wasn't frozen like all the world around us. He was afraid. He was shaking. Elamist, Axe said. Do not be afraid. I will appear in a physical form you can understand. The air directly in front of me, 
No, not in front. Behind. Beside. Around. I can't explain it. The air just opened up. As if there were a door in nothingness. As if air were solid and... It is just impossible to explain. The air opened. He appeared. He was humanoid. Two arms, two legs, a head where a human head would be. His skin was glowing blue, as if he were a light bulb that had been painted over so that light still shone from him. He seemed like an old man, but with a force of energy that was definitely not frail. His hair was long and white. His ears were swept up into points. His eyes were black holes that seemed to be full of stars. I am an Elemist, he said, speaking with an actual voice. As your Andalite friend guest. Axe was shaking so badly, he looked like he might fall down. Be at peace, Andalite, the Elemist said. Look at your human friends. They do not fear me. They do not know what you are, Axe managed to say. The Elemis smiled. Neither do you. All you know are the fairy stories your people tell to children. Well, how about if someone tells us who and what you are, I said. I was not in the best mood ever. It was extremely bizarre and unnerving to be surrounded by human controllers, hork and taxons, in the very heart of the enemy stronghold. They were all frozen, but that could change. To be honest, I was scared. And when I'm scared, I get mad. The Elemist looked at me. You cannot begin to understand what I am. They are all powerful, Axe said simply. They can cross a million light years in a single instant. They can make entire worlds disappear. They can stop time itself. This one doesn't look all that powerful, Marco said skeptically. Don't be a fool, Axe snapped. That is not his body. He has no body. He is everywhere at once, inside your head, inside this planet, inside the fabric of space and time. So why are you here? Jake asked the Elemist. Why all of this? Why did you bring Tobias here? Obviously you saw right through our morphs, Marco said. You knew who we were. You even know our names. You brought us all here together. Why? Because you must decide, the Elemist said. Decide what? I demanded. The fate of your race, the Elemist said. The fate of the human race. That's all? Marco asked. Just the fate of the human race? Don't you have something more challenging for us? but the Elemist wasn't paying attention to Marco. We do not interfere in the private affairs of other beings, he said. But when they are in danger of becoming extinct, we step in to save a few members. We love life. All life, but especially sentient life forms, like Homo sapiens, your species. This is a very beautiful planet, a priceless work of art. You've obviously never seen our school, Marco said, still giddily trying to joke. Suddenly, without warning, the Elemist did it again. He opened space. We were no longer standing in the Yurk pool, 
we were no longer underground at all. We were underwater. Deep underwater. But the water did not seem to touch my skin, and when I breathed, there was still air. Still, I felt fear tingle the back of my neck. We stood, me, Cassie, Jake, Marco, Axe, and Tobias. Tobias and his own human body, in the middle of an ocean, suspended in the water but dry. The Elemis could no longer be seen. We were floating above a coral reef, and everything was moving again. All around us, fish swam in swift darting schools, fish in every color and shape, reflecting the dappled sunlight from above. Sharks prowled. Stingrays seemed to fly. Squids pulsated. Crabs scuttled across the fabulous extrusions of coral. Tuna as big as sheep drifted past. Swift, grinning dolphins raced by in pursuit of their next meal. Lovely. The Elemis voice once more seemed to grow from deep within my own heart. Lovely. And then, as quickly as we had been plunged into the ocean, we were drifting above the waving golden grass of the African savanna. A pride of lions lazed in the sun below us, looking sleepily content. Wildebeests and gazelles and impalas grazed, then broke into wild, springing, bouncing races that forced you to smile at the sheer energy of it all. There were hyenas, rhinos, elephants, giraffes, cheetahs, baboons, zebras, hawks and eagles and buzzards wheeled overhead. Look at it. Then, in an instant, deep jungle, a leith jaguar prowled while monkeys chattered in the tree canopy above. Snakes as long as a person slithered across tree branches. The air reeked of the heavy perfume of a million flowers. We heard the sounds of frogs, insects, monkeys, and wild screaming birds. In all the universe, no greater beauty. In a thousand thousand worlds, no greater art than this. Then the Elemis showed us the human race. We flew, invisible, through the stealing glass canyons of New York City. We drifted above villages at the edges of jungle rivers. We watched a rock concert in Rio de Janeiro, and a political meeting in Seoul, and a soccer game in Durban, and an open-air market in the Philippines. Humans. Cruel. Primitive. But capable of understanding. Suddenly, all the movement stopped. We were staring at a picture. A painting. I'd seen the painting somewhere before. It was a wild swirl of color. A painting of purple flowers. Irises, I think, although I'm no big expert on flowers. The artist had seen the beauty of those flowers and captured some small bit of it on the canvas. Capable of understanding. Then, without warning, we were back in the yurk pool. The images were all gone. We were in the land of despair once again, surrounded by frozen images of horror. The Elemist, or at least the body he had made for us to look at, reappeared. That was a nice tour, I said. I was trying to sound tough, but I felt as if I had been turned inside out, as if my mind had exploded into a thousand sparkling pieces. I was overwhelmed. But what's it all about? Humans are an endangered species. Soon, you will disappear. 
I thought of a couple things to say, but I said nothing. No one said anything. The Yurk race is also sentient, the Elemis said. And they are technologically more advanced than you. They will continue to infest the human race. The Andalites will try to stop them, but they will fail. The Yurks will win, and soon, the only humans left will be what you call human controllers. I had stopped breathing. The way he had said it, it was like you couldn't argue, like you couldn't say anything. He spoke every word with utter and complete certainty. He wasn't guessing. He knew. He knew that we would lose. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. It's your host, Daniel. I would like to start off by saying that the episodes of uh, Alphabet Flight that I did with my buddy Jesse uh, have come out, so go give those a listen. Had a lot of fun talking about various masters of various things. It was a good time. Moving on, um, we've met the Elemist. I did not think it would be this early, and I was like, Hey Daniel, what if you did like a cool voice processing thing you saw online for Elemist voice? That'd be pretty neat. And boy, do I regret choosing a like four to five step sound processing uh, process for i i didn't realize there were that many lines uh because i recorded it on one day and i came back to edit the next day and i was like there's not that many lines right i can do this nope there's a lot of lines and i regret it but it's here uh that's just how it's gonna go i am maybe not like 100 percent satisfied with how it sounds so it might change uh don't worry about it he's basically god so his voice can change however he wants it to in other uh, real-life news, Brooklyn Nine-Nine just got cancelled, and that makes me personally very sad, so go tweet at Fox and tell them to not do that, and tweet at Hulu to buy it, I guess. I think Hulu's looking into that. Man, I don't want to pay for Hulu, but I might to watch Brooklyn. No, I probably will just pirate it, but uh, if you're a cop listening to this, that was a joke. Anyway, if you liked what you heard here on this episode and want to hear some other episodes, you can do that at audiomorphs.podbean.com or by searching Audiomorphs on iTunes. And if you're using iTunes, shoot me a review and a rating and a subscribe. I'd appreciate that. I'd also appreciate it if you told a buddy about this, you know, just tell a friend who you think might be into Animorphs or audiobooks or my voice. If you'd like to reach me, you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com and audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. I think that's all I had to say today. It's a bit of a longer episode. I did not realize uh, chapter 10 was quite that long, but, you know, it happens. So enjoy the long episode, or you have enjoyed because it's at the end. Thank you for enjoying the long episode. And I will see you next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>